This is a special bonus episode of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Fly Fishing Founder Series where you hear behind the scenes stories from the companies who are going all in on fly fishing. This week we have Deli Fresh Design with Ross White. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Today's show is sponsored by the Wet Fly Swing Member Society. Go to wetflyswing.com slash members to check out the bonuses and discounts from all of our partner companies. In today's episode, I talk with Ross White from Deli Fresh Design. We talk about how Ross has created a company he runs currently as a one-man show, uh, which includes sewing, marketing, and growing a a company with a conservation ethic. We hear how Ross started out with Orvis, take a look at the Orvis Rod Factory, and find out how he gets around without a car. Don't miss this as Ross calls out uh, TU a bit in this one for some of their um, mailers and uh, how he thinks they could do a better job. So, without further ado, here's Ross White from DeliFreshDesign.com. How's it going, Ross? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We have definitely, we're just chatting there a little bit about some of the some of your background. I learned something about you right off the bat, which I didn't know. And we'll, so we'll get into a little bit on, on that topic, which is, I think is good, um, you know, on the, the bamboo, I guess. Uh, but uh, maybe you could talk about first how you got into fly fishing and how uh, Deli, uh, Deli Fresh Design kind of all came to be. Sure. Yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, Connecticut and then uh, moved to Denver as a kid around the age of 12. But for that first 12 years, um, I lived within walking distance of uh, enormous lake and then a couple of little ponds. And so I spent most of my childhood uh, up until moving to Denver uh, just walking down to the lake and and fishing for panfish and uh, trying to catch trout occasionally and, and bass. Uh, and so I, and then on top of that, I have an uncle who, who always fly fish. So I think the seeds of, of being obsessed now and fly fishing were kind of laid pretty early. Uh, just given that I, I, as soon as I, there some of my earliest memories are of fishing and, and typically with my uncle. And so, um, that kind of evolved, uh, when I was a kid, uh, when I was in, lived in Denver as a kid, I didn't really do anything fishing related um and then the irony is so i went to college as well as boarding school for high school um, and both places that were on bodies of water so my boarding school was right on the narragansett bay uh in in rhode island and then my college was in fort uh, it was fort lewis in um durango colorado so i ended up getting a job at orvis and uh so sort of learning what people's problems are trying to solve my own problems as far as gear uh, and much of like the retail environment in a fly fishing shop is that someone has, uh, you know, wants an easier solution to the problem of like, how do we deal with the burden of carrying all this gear with us? And so, uh, I love the idea of trying to help someone to, you know, give them, uh, a, a better option or have you thought about this or that? And, uh, from my artistic background, I, I kind of started to delve into, um, making a bag for myself as well. Um, and it was something that I I found frustrating is that there's certain bags that I'd see that I liked 
Um, but as someone, I actually broke my um, collarbone, right collarbone in college, and and I really liked having a sling pack at the time. But almost every uh, commercially available uh, sling pack uh, was only meant for a right-handed, uh, right handed, right shoulder. And there was a few other options, but I didn't really like any of them. Um, and so, or it seemed like too, too easy for me as an artist to like use the quick fix of buying something that's expensive or custom made. So I, it evolved into like, why not try to make something that's cool and symmetrical, symmetrical that, you know, I would like to use to fish. It suits my needs. And that's sort of where I ended up starting to get like a sewing machine and started making, uh, some really simple little bags. Uh, and as, uh, someone who's always been kind of in the maker artistic category, I, I've always wanted to, if I was going to do something bag design wise, I would always want to do it myself where I was making all the bags, uh, and try to do all of it in the U S if I couldn't just personally do it myself. Well, good. Yeah. And you were mentioning a couple things there. And one thing I wanted to, the Orvis thing, I wanted to definitely uh, touch on because that was, I didn't realize you worked with Orvis. Um, but right at the start there, when you were digging in, you mentioned the boarding school. Is that, um, I mean, what, what's, I, I've never been to a boarding school. You know, you kind of hear it, think of different things. What was that experience like? Um, it was a good experience. Uh, um, I think it's sort of unique to the fact that I'm from the East Coast and most people, especially in Colorado or even in like the, the West Coast, um, usually it's sort of the idea like, oh, what did you do wrong? Oh, like, right. how did, how did you screw up? So the, the, your parents, you know, their last ditch effort to make you like a normal person, <laughs> right. normal, like, you know, a contributing person in society. Yep. Um, but for me, it was actually, uh, so I have, um, my dad and my grandfather both went there. And so I kind of wanted, uh, it was just sort of in my head as a kid that I wanted to go there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And what's, um, and then Orvis, can you talk about a little bit of how you, uh, the work you did there at Orvis or you were in a local shop? Yeah, I worked at the the Orvis store in the Park Meadows Mall, which is a suburb of Denver. It's technically in the the, the suburb of Lone Tree. It's basically just like a, uh, I think Lone Tree specifically is kind of where there's a lot of like uh, um, outcropping or uh, a lot of strip mall sort of mall type stores. Um, so it's sort of different from most people's sort of idea of like a cool fly shop. But um, I really liked it in that uh, um, I had intentionally come to denver kind of thinking that i wanted to be a guitar maker and was trying to apply to like to work at a guitar shop and that didn't really happen and so i was like you know i i like fishing I, maybe i can you know get a job at a fly shop and so i applied sort of uh to a position uh at the park meadow store and and sort of went from there and then i, I worked at a uh after orvis I worked at a an independent fly shop for uh two and a half years in denver but um I liked it. I like Den. I like uh, I like Orvis as a company. I think they're doing a lot of really cool, good stuff uh, as far as uh, their conservation and giving mm-hmm. back. And and uh, I like that um, that they've probably been one of the mo- most significant companies uh, in, in sort of dissolving the notion of uh, fly fishing as this elitist um, old man sport, old white man sport. Uh, they've done everything that they possibly can, uh, to, uh, sort of break that down and make it inclusive, uh, to not only women, but just anybody who has an inkling to, uh, to pick up a fly rod. And, and it's pretty cool that, that, uh, and I always say to people, you know, it's better than forget about me teaching you. You should, you should, uh, at least go and, 
and take the, the the fly fishing 101 and the 201 courses because it it really sort of dissolves any of the confusion confusion around the sport. Um, but so for me, um, as a company, I was thinking, well, you know, I can't do that, and I can't really do what Fish Pond does, which is use uh, ghost nets uh, to make net or to make uh, or we they weave ghost nets into fabric specifically for their bags. Hmm. And I was like, well, I can't really do that either. But um, uh, one day I was watching a YouTube channel that I subscribed to, and and there was uh, someone using um, sailcloth and uh, recycled uh, climbing rope to make uh, backpacks. And I sort of whacked myself on the forehead and said, I could do that. <laughs> uh, and not only, and and I could apply it to fly fishing and. And, uh, and I, I was like, I have, and so I, I was sort of thinking like, it would be great to be able to, you know, throw money at a problem, uh, by, and in the way that like a big company can, uh, that they can, uh, you know, afford to donate to big conservation groups and stuff like that. But, uh, just can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I wouldn't want to, if I had the, the disposable income, it's just that, um, as a company, I, especially in the fly fishing world, I felt like there was. Uh, it's sort of a requirement uh, to be doing what you can to conserve and reduce waste. So I saw that and I was like, I, oh my God, I have to go out and do this. Um, well, what um, is the process like when you're, you know, it seems like, you know, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, overseas uh, manufacturing going. So so basically are all your products made in the in the U.S.? Yeah, so I, I'm right now. Um, I so I design and come up with everything for the bags, and then I'm actually the one sewing everything currently. Oh wow! Uh, so yeah, um, we're not quite at the point where I need to outsource or hire someone, uh, but hopefully we're uh, we're going to get there sometime at some point. And so, um, I mean, for me, I've I've realized my limitations in that I'm a pretty good sewer. I'm not the best sewer, but I I, I still love to make uh, products, and I'm always striving to make. Uh, the perfect bag and and something that uh, you know the nice thing about that is that I think um, if if you do want something that's perfect or like completely you know uh, generic then there's plenty of other opportunities to find that mm-hmm. and uh, from someone else but uh, I mean I think it's more interesting to have not only a bag know the person that made the bag but also know that like you know you could see where he went wrong or maybe you know change something a little bit or and and so that every product is sort of unique it's not just a you know uh mass produced uh you know out of the straight out of the box from china and, yeah. and hand it to a customer so uh, a lot of times people ask like oh i like this bag but could we do set of sailcloth on this part these parts could we do waiter or or vice versa or i like digital camo but i maybe not on this go around or this bag and and so i'm pretty easy to work with people on that stuff or you know could you put straps here can carry a rod tube or straps there that kind of thing cool um well let's yeah. uh yeah let's uh, uh i want to get back to some of the stuff on your designs because that is uh pretty interesting how you're you know doing it all like one man show and some of the, your long-term plans but i did want to get into a little bit on the bamboo because i'm kind yeah. of interested in bamboo it seems like you know back in the day obviously the bamboo you know was the was the go-to rod and then it uh kind of went away a little bit but it seems like it's out there pretty good can you talk about uh maybe you can just give a little brief history on bamboo maybe the recent history on bamboo where if you think has it come back and where we're at and then talk about what you're doing with bamboo 
Um, I think I don't know. I don't know if it's made the comeback that fiberglass had has certainly that you don't see like um company like Orvis or like Thomas and Thomas really pushing the fact that they still or like even Winston. Uh, I know Winston's uh, bamboo uh, shop just burned down. Oh, I think wow. it was last year or the year before. And I think they've are certainly going to plan on bringing it back, but it's a slow process to, to bring it back. But prior to moving and working for Orvis, I had visited um, the rod shop in, in Manchester, mm-hmm. Vermont for Orvis and saw a couple of guys making bamboo rods. And so that what, even What did that accelerate. rod shop, what, what, what's, when you walk into the Orvis uh, in Manchester, what's that, what does it look like? Um, I think it's a lot different from what most people think because um, most people are like, oh, Orvis, they sell women's you know, clothing. They're just mass produce everything. Um, but you'd be surprised by how small uh, the rod shop is in in, in Manchester for Orvis. It's it's I think on par with probably any any you know high end rod company like like Winston or Scott mm-hmm. or um, uh, or Thomas and Thomas. It's probably just about the same size as all of those shops, yeah. but they just happen to have a bigger company around it, which is the size um, of a like the size of a, a house essentially yeah i mean it's well it's bigger than a house but it's uh it's not it's like maybe um it's probably the size of two normally like regular sized orvis stores if you put that two two orvis stores together it's about the size of a size of the rod shop and you got what a few guys in there kind of hard at it or what's that look like yeah well, I mean, there's one side where they're doing all the like rolling and for the carbon fiber and then and the fiberglass. And then they, there was a couple of guys at the time that I saw that were making bamboo rods, sort of uh, selecting strips and stuff like that. And then on the other side, they were doing all the finishing. Oh, yeah. So for me, that was like, oh, that that's so cool that they're making these. I mean, sort of right there, I was like dream job would be working for us, learning how to make rods. That's cool. Um, that's cool. And then so what you did and, and actually I had uh, yeah. Tom, Tom Rosenbauer was on in 63 and I asked him, you know, on Orvis what their I can't remember the question exactly, but kind of what, what their what they do best. And he that was his answer was they make the rods or what they do best and they do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty powerful. I mean, it's pretty cool from a uh, historical perspective that that they've been. I'm not sure exactly what year they started making rods, but they've been doing it probably for about a century. Yep, uh, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, and um, so yeah, um, so I got learned about them, and then I found out about Thomas and Thomas because they're kind of in my backyard, or like kind of in the area, and then. Uh, there's a, a really cool uh, tradition of, of like Catskill and New England uh, bamboo rod makers with the uh, probably everybody you need to know about that's been historically you know impactful on bamboo rod making at one point or another has a connection to Leonard and F.E. Thomas, which are both both uh, companies that started in the mid uh, 19th century, so like 1850s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really are the companies that created the six strip bamboo rod. So from there, uh, there's this guy, Mark Ariner, who's still alive and, and makes really cool rods. He's got a really cool presence on, on Instagram with his company's Spinoza rods and a rod company or bamboo rods. And, um, I guess in the first year I, I moved back to Colorado, I met, um, Ross, uh, who is the, uh, another Ross who, who owns the Denver fly shop and, 
sort of casually at his shop was said that he made bamboo rods. And I was like, Oh man, that's so cool. I'd love to try learning it. And he's like, Oh, I teach people to do it. So he sort of opened the door for me. And, and since then I've been making rods on my own, uh, here and there I've sold a couple and mostly, uh, still sort of in the designing and getting better at, 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 uh, at every element of it um on my own so it's 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 pretty cool to to do that and to you know, put together a rod that from start to finish that i i had my hands on every part of it so gotcha yeah that's cool and then yeah you're talking about from the very beginning get grabbing a piece of bamboo and just the whole process is that yeah how, yeah. how long does that take you to you know from the very start to the very end if you want to Hmm, that's tough for me uh just because it's hard to if, if i've got bag orders and then oh yeah um I th- i'd say like i think i got one rod done it was a it was quick it was a quick turnaround it was like a, uh, i had a deadline of about a month yeah um but it but it was um you know if if i was just doing rods i'd probably be able to crank out rod, a rod every every month or so so what what is your what is your if you'd say your your home river the closest river and you're in Colorado right? Yeah, so I'm in Colorado. Uh, I'm in Denver. Uh, so one of the things that's pretty cool about my studio space where I, I do make everything out of is that um, basically there's uh, west of me is the highway, and then west of the highway. Uh, or about, you know, like a block away from me is the highway. And then another block is the South Platte. Oh yeah. Um, which is pretty polluted and, and getting better in Denver, but there is uh, fantastic carp fishing. Uh, the Denver Toronto limited chapter, yeah. uh, also stocks it pretty regularly with, with, um, uh, with trout. And then, uh, from the, one of the, uh, Chatfield reservoirs, some of the spill from that, uh, ends up, um, with, uh, some smallmouth bass, but, I've yet to catch a smallmouth bass, but I've caught trout and carp in the, the local South Platte. So it's pretty cool to, in the yeah. afternoon, just ride my bike over there for a couple of hours, do that. But then, um, and then, uh, but I also go to, uh, so further south from Denver, about an hour and a half south, I, I is the uh, notorious section of Deckers and then also Cheeseman Canyon. So uh, I regularly fish the Deckers uh, for trout um, and then occasionally get Cheeseman and occasionally get down to, other rivers uh, like the Colorado and and uh, and uh, briefly fished the Eagle last year um, mm-hmm. and the Arkansas, but um, right now I, I, I'm carless, so part of my my whole um, uh, sort of just uh, if I could, uh, it'd be ideal to own a car uh, just so I could have the uh, the access to the to fishing, but to yep. to even commute in a, on a on a daily basis in a car is just not who I am. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to be able to have those options and I've got good friends and family that I can borrow cars from or, no kidding. or go fishing with. So that helps. So you're, um, uh, so you're carless by choice just to, uh, you know, you'd rather yeah. use the bike. Yeah. I've, I've right now I'm kind of starting to think about, uh, uh, um, I'm kind of in the process of trying to buy a, uh, a, a little mini or a cargo van. Oh yeah. Like a small, small, Ford cargo van so I can uh, drive across country this summer. I want to planning to be in the Catskills for a, a couple of weeks and want to stop off on the Driftless area yep. in Wisconsin and the Osable and, and Michigan. And then I've got a friend in Cleveland that I'm going to stay with. And so I'm going to kind of do that, 
get my get my bass fishing uh fix in and and uh in connecticut and and new york and uh then come back um but you know even even if i I had a car i I just uh, driving every day to me kind of makes me nauseous so yeah yeah so i ride my bike quite a bit is the bike in denver is a pretty good biking city uh yeah it is a pretty good biking city uh there's uh the cool thing about the south Platte is that uh, the section in town. So pretty much all the way from, uh, like Littleton, which is about like 10 miles South of, of where I am, uh, where like the Chatfield reservoir, which is, uh, um, so the, the South Platte, uh, flows North. Um, and so it, uh, so for like 10 miles, it was pretty much all, it's all bike path. Uh, and, uh, if you've got a, you know, fishing license for Colorado, you can fish all of it. It's all public access along there, so it's yeah. pretty remarkable. If you want to want to go sight fishing for carp, you've got you've got plenty of space to do it in. Um, yeah. Gotcha. And uh, and then yeah, there's plenty of street bikes signs, but Denver's a booming city, so there's a lot of cars on the road, and and I think uh, people are a little preoccupied with cell phones and things like that, so it makes it a little scary on a bike. Yeah, but, t- totally. Does it get a little? Have you had some? Have you had some close calls out there? Uh, once in a while I get cut off by a bike or a car and then, uh, but, um, there's a frontage road. So between the highway and my studio, there's a high or, uh, there's a frontage road that I, I take out every day on my way home. And, and I just look and I'm like, I'm glad I'm not, you know, st- sitting in traffic like everybody else oh, on man, the highway. No kidding. That's awesome. Yeah. So. You're, you're getting your exercise while, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's cool. Okay. Well, yeah. good. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, I mean, definitely it sounds like you're doing things, you know, a little bit differently and that, that makes sense. It sounds like, you know, I think that's what your, uh, Deli Fresh Design is the same thing. You, you have that conservation ethic and you're, you're, you know, we talked about yeah. Orvis and that's a, you know, I've, uh, you know, definitely had, we've had that conversation on here before, but the cool thing about Orvis is that they are, um, you know, they're privately held so they can speak up yeah. on whatever they want. And are you the they same, can... do you jump on some of that as far as the conservation issues and some of that? Um, you know, it's something that I, I wish I was better at as far as uh, getting involved with and something that I thought about, especially from a company standpoint, getting involved with TU. And and uh, and sometimes I get frustrated and, and uh, my reluctance with Trata Limited uh, from a personal standpoint is that it's, you know, I've learned methods through using recycled materials and how to reduce waste and not be part of the problem. Uh, and I love what TU does, but, um, and I was a member for a couple, a couple of years back, but, uh, that sort of completely rubs me the wrong way. And, and as their business model, uh, that I'm sure anybody who's ever subscribed, uh, to anything they've done or, or, or become a member is that you pay for a membership for a year and you get about a hundred or, you know, $40 membership and you get about a hundred dollars worth of junk mail. Oh. Uh, and, and so to me, I think it's, it, it really irks me that a company that's a conf- conservation group, um, is on one hand doing all these really good things for trout, but also, uh, doing nothing or being part of the problem as far as paperweights. Right. What would be a better, uh, what would be your recommendations of a way they could do it? Better? Um, I mean, for, it would be amazing if, 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 uh, trout unlimited went paperless, I think yeah. it'd be a huge step in the right direction. Um, yeah. Especially as a conservation group that touts helping trout forest, you know, trout habitat, uh, you know, jokingly, but in some ways they're helping to contribute to deforestation by, by, you know, trying to consciously, you know, 
if they went paperless, they'd be like, instead of being part of the problem, we're going to be part of the solution, not just for trout, but for other things too. Uh, and they're a big enough or- organization that they could be doing that. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and so I, I, so I, so from my own perspective, I think, um, my, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting in traffic, but as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact, uh, by riding a bike or taking, uh, the bus or shared, uh, mm-hmm. shared cars, stuff like that on, uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people and, and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis, not just, not just to, uh, to, you know, throw money at a problem. I think that's the last thing we should be doing is sort of deciding where we can, uh, make an impact on a personal level. And I think my own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or riding a bike, uh, and then trying to see what, uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like I said, I think if down the road we become a big company with disposable income, I would uh, definitely be trying to, to, um, speak out more and, and, and doing it strategically. Yep. And, and I think, um, is that one of the things plan? that I would, is that your plan? Uh, down the, I mean, if you said five, uh, 10 years from now, if you look, look at what you'd like, would you like to see a big, uh, a big company, see this turn into a big company with, with a lot of people working for you, that sort of thing? Um, I, I mean, I think there's a limit to it. I don't think I'd ever want it to be where it's something, uh, where I don't have most of the control over it, but I do like the idea of, uh, of creating a company that uh, employs other creative yeah. craftspeople like so, myself. So, do you think you can get to where you want to get? So, you just by yourself, you can't, you can't. I mean, because there are people doing, yeah. I mean, maybe not with physical products, yeah. but there are people doing one man shows where they don't want to get into a bunch of employees, and they and they like where they're at. Yeah, that's kind um, of yeah. I guess I, you know, I haven't gotten to the point where I have to make that hard decision. Um, the decision, I guess, could be made uh, either where I decide to do everything in house, control the process, or I have to outsource. Um, but uh, as I said earlier, I don't have any interest in doing outsourcing right. to to China or anything like that. It's just, uh, just to me, it is like, why would I bother? Is it uh, like I why mean, what, bother with that? What's so, outsourcing? I mean, is out, outsourcing in the U.S. is that a, a pretty realistic? Yeah, it's 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 possible. Uh, there's people that do it, uh, like basically where it's just you know instead of me sewing something, I can find contract people that that would sew stuff for me. Um, but I, I just haven't gotten to the point yet, but down the line, I would like to be doing that. I'd, I'd rather be, uh, like I said earlier, my, my, my mind is more driven to like evolving a, a design and making it better and improving on it. Uh, and, and not necessarily just about, you know, making a design, sticking with it and, and then making a thousand of them. I, right. I, I, so that can be done. I can do that, but it's, it's also not what I, I love. So m- for me, d- design evolution and, and make something better and, and always striving to make it better is, is what I love to do. Yeah. Um, awesome. and so, yeah, down the line, if I've got the, the income, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, um, I'd love to use, um, like my weight and money to, to, um, especially with, uh, conservation efforts. I think, um, one of the things that I find hard, like I would love to see happen is these big conservation groups trying to not just preach to the fly fishing communities, but to uh, people outside of the fishing community um, about like uh, raising a, I think like one, a great example of 
of this is that everybody in the fly fishing world that has a soul has uh, signed a petition uh, for the, uh, you know, against pe- the pebble yeah. mine. Yeah. Um, but if you talk to anybody who's never like, if you talk to, you know, I think on a macro level, we could, as a community say like trout unlimited could take a, or Patagonia could uh, take a, an ad out and, Super Bowl and just draw awareness to it on a micro right. level. I can, I can tell five people that don't know about it, yeah. uh, about that. It'd be like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Which one do you um, think is better? The micro or um, the Super Bowl ad? Uh, I don't know. I think we could probably, we could always ideally hope for both, but, yeah. um, as an individual, it's probably more likely that I could, I could make more of an impact by telling the people, yeah. people around me who don't know about it, uh, yeah. then, than just uh, complain to other people that fly fish that that Donald Trump, uh, you know, is again, you know, yeah. thought we solved this problem again. We're you know dealing with this, but right. Uh, right. Uh, you're you're just preaching to everybody who already knows who's already on the same side. But yeah. right now, I think we need to for that. It's it's probably better to be like, hey, I you know, I know you don't fly fish, but you seem like the kind of person who doesn't want big oil destroying Alaska, right. and so maybe go sign a petition and or just go look and and see what it is it's like and see if there's not just the president but other politicians that you could consider not voting for uh in midterms or next elections so that you that hopefully that doesn't happen exactly um so um, that's a great idea um well, I was thinking, you know, as we wrap up here, um, just a couple, you know, you're thinking about, as I was talking about your company here, um, do you have any tips for somebody who maybe has a, you know, is getting started, maybe has an idea for a product in the fly fishing space and is possibly struggling to get started? I mean, you're, you're at a point where you're, you're, you know, you've got this great product. Um, obviously, it's a passion thing for you, but uh, would you offer any tips for somebody new to it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, um, for what's been positive to me and I'm definitely kind of an introvert that has extroverted tendencies, but, um, it's nice to, uh, one of the things that, and we have one coming up is the fly fishing rendezvous. Uh, and I did it sort of two years ago and, and, uh, this is, this will be the third year I've done it. And, uh, the first time I went, I kind of went sort of as a sink or swim kind of thing. And I got a lot of feedback so sold a lot less than I thought I would, but I, I made a lot of friends in the industry. And so, um, I, I thought, think it's nice to always, uh, meet other people that are like-minded, uh, meet people, uh, at a fly fishing show and, and just sort of even just walk around see what other people are making. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think your life, uh, and my life has become much more enriched by reaching out and asking people for help or asking people a question. Um, yep. Uh, you know, you're only as good as, as you think you are until you ask someone for help. I mean, I think, um, a big part of what's helped me in the last year is, um, uh, helping or having, uh, my dad come on board is basically, uh, the sort of the nuts and bolts sort of, um, uh, he has a background in, 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 uh, in business and in venture capital and having him help me, from a business standpoint being like, Oh, this is where we should devote our money mm. as far as advertising goes. Or I think we should pursue this person because they seem interested in like, you know, being a big wholesale account. Yeah. Uh, so having, having the feedback from with, and having someone to bounce ideas off with, that's, that's huge. That is a great, and I was just thinking on the advertising, I'm glad you brought that up because 
uh, you're going to be, I'm not sure when this episode comes out, um, but yeah, th- it's likely that you'll be a sponsor uh, for the show here. And so I think it's, yeah. a, it's a good point you make that, um, you know, I, you know what, what I'm doing here is just trying to basically find, you know, good companies that have a good message. And I think in the fly fishing space, there's a lot of good companies. Um, but it is interesting because I occasionally get pitched by companies. And recently I was pitched by one that wanted to, to be a sponsor. And, um, and ultimately I, you know, decided to say no. And it was mainly because I wasn't that familiar with the product or, you know, just wasn't sure about it. And I didn't want to promote anything that I, you know, that I didn't have a, you know, the best thing is to have personal experience. And the second best thing I think is to be referred to by people that, that, you know, really well. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you, how do you first know where to go and then how do you know, you know, when you do get pitched by other people or companies, how do you know when to say um, no? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of, um, it's funny. It's sort of like dating in some ways. It's, uh, the people that are interested are, are not hard to hard to work with. Um, mm. uh, you know, the people that you seem to be calling back all the time are the ones that are harder to deal with and might might end up be coming back. But uh, it's it's nice that when the things are easy and they kind of happen uh, with limited, you know, back and forth or right. or whatever. There's there's that, and um, and so those are nice and. I mean, I think I, a couple, probably two years ago when I was just getting started, really, I, I had, um, some, some, a couple of guys who were, uh, I think spin fishermen who fish from kayaks and they had this idea of a bag, like a boat bag that they wanted. And they also wanted to have like a pocket that was for their con- concealed carry. <laughs> and I was, uh, and, and I was, so I was like, you know, from a business standpoint, I was like, I probably can't say no to this if it comes my way. But yeah. then, um, and then they were very apprehensive about, you know, wanting to have me sign, you know, non-compete stuff. And, oh, and wow. so like this kind of thing where it's like, yep. so these tight guarded. And I think you, you almost, those people are just like, you know, so paranoid about losing yep. their control of their idea that it might even not be that great of an idea no. in the first place. And no. so, um, so you, you just, you know, you, you kind of have to take a, a leap of faith for anything to at least to get it out there and be like, yeah, I could make a prototype for you. Like, sure. Yeah. But like the idea of, of, you know, wanting me to, to not be able to compete for five years in a fly fishing world or fishing world period is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, and certainly not like, um, uh, the kind of thing that I think is interesting. And I mean, I, I sort of, I, I recently had some people uh, sort of comment on Instagram about like, oh, your stuff's really like really similar to Vedavu and oh right, right. Uh, yeah. and and I, I and I, I it's true. I mean, I've 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 used similar camos to them, um, but I I it's but for me to explain to someone like, that we do something very different, we our yep. designs are different, we use different um, process uh, yeah. different constructions our bag you know this it's very you know to a consumer it's hard to explain that to someone yeah, yeah. uh but then i mean one of the, the great examples of of uh reaching out or you know uh learning from other people is uh I, i'm blanking on his name but the the, the guy who owns vedavu um was very fr- op- opening and welcoming to me when i, I met mm-hmm. him at a fly fishing show you know he was like this is where you need to go for this material like this is what you should totally. be thinking about you know while that happened on instagram i i know from a fact from a personal interaction with the owner of vedavu that you know he doesn't see what i'm doing 
uh, as competition. Yeah. Uh, he sees that what I'm uh, maybe a little bit, but I think he sees what I'm doing is that I'm I, I want to go in the same direction as he he wants to go with the fly fishing world. That uh, you know we're, we're providing someone with an alternative uh, alternative to uh, something that was made overseas, and uh, there's always a uh, an alternative design that what what they do is different from what I do. I provide a different type of bag than what they have. So I think, um, I think that, that there's always room for that. And hopefully we're both could, uh, take, take the, uh, the industry in a, in a different way where most more things can be, uh, or more, more people in the fly fishing community can get stuff that are, uh, yeah. they can demand, demand that their bags made in USA right now. Um, you know, the only, there's, there's still the, the people that see, uh, they're like, oh, I, I would never buy a fly rod that wasn't made in the U.S., um, but I, w- I would, wouldn't even think twice about buying a, a bag made in China. But uh, for their, for them, I think it's because they haven't been given, the, they haven't been given that bag until now. Yeah, uh, no, that, that they, they, they don't have an, that option, so they just accept it. Where yep. I, I, but, but I think switching that and switching that and and, and changing that, I think, is cool. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm right I on. Think, yeah, I was gonna say with uh, Scott, you know, um, I think it was, I think it's Scott from Vita Vu. Um, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Scott, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think you're you're right on, and and I think with the ideas is that you know it's the whole thing where ideas are the easy part. It's sticking sticking with the uh, the plan lo- right for a long enough time. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. harder part. Yeah, I definitely felt like, um, too, from like a starting out standpoint, when I did that first show, it was sort of like a, um, I kind of, you kind of have to take a leap. Like there is like a thing where like, um, you know, you do have to jump off a, like a cliff. Hopefully it's not a very big cliff, but there is that jump that you have to make uh, where you do have to like um, sort of commit to it uh, in a certain amount of sense that like it's not just like a, a casual hobby. Um Unless that's what you want it to be. Yeah. Have you jumped um, off? Have you jumped off yet? In in full. I think. Um. Well, I've, I've got a part time job, so yeah. I haven't fully jumped off. But uh, I've for the uh, the first three months of this year, I, I didn't have another job, so that that um you know yeah scary, so you're, but, you're clo- but you're close. it's nice to know. Yeah, yeah I'm I, I'm getting there. Yeah. Not what, quite there yet, but um, you, I was just thinking that this quote that uh, I had. Um, I always think about actually, it's probably one of my favorite quote, quotes because it, you know, it gets to that point when you start. And I think just now I received some, you know, negative feedback on something here. But part of leadership, a big part of it, uh, of it is the ability to stick with a dream for long, for a long time, long enough so the critics will realize that you're going to get there one way or another. So they eventually follow, you know, you know, because, yeah. you know, that's the thing is that I think a lot of people, you know, like with your, what you're saying with your products, people are kind of like, oh, you're, you're just copying this. But, you know, it, it's bottom line is that if you stick with it long enough, everybody's going to figure out what you just yeah. told the story you just told us today, right? Plus, I don't know if it's worth trying to explain to someone who just thinks it's uh, thinks yeah. that I'm copying someone else. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Uh, because they obviously think I'm copying, but if they took the time to learn or to explain, it'd like be like, you know, if they saw both bags side by side, they'd be like, oh wow, they are different. Like yeah. they are very different. But uh, yeah. but those nuances get lost on on people. I hear you. I hear um, but I was going to say, um, uh, I mean, it's a great example of a company uh, going back to Orvis of like seeing that people want that that um, want more made, made in USA stuff is the fact that uh, um, the the 
like the new Mirage reel from Orvis is a great example of, of them seeing that people demand uh, a, not only do they demand a rod made in the U.S., but they demand a reel made in USA. Hmm. And so it can be competitive. Uh, they, that's what they're doing is, is bringing it back to the U.S., which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, so. I mean, I, I love Sims waiters. Uh, they could be doing a lot more. I mean, they, they make great waiters and they're doing that in the U.S. I, I just wish they, that they were making more. I mean, and part of the reason why I started was because they weren't making their, their bags in the U.S. anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, or the same way with fish font. I love their designs. I think they're awesome. I think that they've got such a cool model and I wish I could be at the point where that, that I could, you know, be sourcing someone to use ghost nets to weave into fabric that I exactly want, want to use in my bags. But, yeah. do you uh, know, from, oh, you sorry, know, I think just, that's awesome. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, but, do, you, do you know of any companies that are, um, you know, basically the size of Sims or a, a, a huge company you know, or whatever big company that is actually doing it all in the u.s uh, i don't know probably not it's probably you know and not in the fly fishing world i think the only companies that are examples of that are like you know uh, ross and ross and abel and and scott who are are uh, hatch mm. um you know, or managed to be able to make all their bags I, I, and actually sorry no I, I i take that back have you heard of uh rising nets uh yeah i have i think i have heard yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. They're they're not they're not at the same size as Sims, but they're sure. they're definitely a big company yeah. uh, bigger than I am. Uh, and they make sweet nets. I bought one of their nets, and part of that was because it was made in USA. And uh, oh, cool. and I I didn't I, I yeah I mean I thought that was so cool that they were doing that. And how do you so. stay ahead um, of the game? I think of, again another quote uh, Wayne Gretzky the uh, the quote of you know you don't go to where the puck is, but you go to where you know it's going to be or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you? Because it seems like it's, that's a tough thing. You've got to always yeah, kind of be reinventing. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. But um, like I said, I think my I'm, my head head wanders all the time about whether I'm riding my bike or I'm at my other job. I'm I'm in my head all the time deconstructing the bag I make and do I. Do, how do I tweak this? How do I improve that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think there's never sort of resting on your laurels, always moving forward or trying to make it better. Yeah. So, oh, I was yeah. going to say the good sort of like uh, quote for the person starting out is another Gretzky quote, which oh, yeah? is uh, you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Oh, that's a good one. So you, you miss, you miss yeah. a, yeah, you miss a hundred percent that. And that kind of goes to the famous, probably everybody's or a lot of people have heard the Michael Jordan one, which is, uh, well, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. I won't, I won't quote that. Oh, one okay. Fully, but there's one about how yeah. he's, you know, taken 50 game winning shots or he's missed 50 game winning shots. He's failed, you know, basically the whole thing about yeah. fail, 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 but he succeeds because he, he doesn't give up. You know, he keeps trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing too, that I've sort of saw about and, um, and like, uh, I, another person that like, um, is Topo designs is a, a big company here in Denver and, and, uh, they're uh, sort of in between, much higher up, uh, closer to like the the uh, becoming more like a Patagonia, where they make a lot of clothing now. Mm-hmm. But they started with bags, and uh, for me in my head, uh, before I even I met the owners, I was like, oh, they're doing something different. I don't like that. But but uh, then I met the owners, and they they were completely open and and very welcoming and and wanted to talk. Uh, and, and then through them, I got, uh, uh, involved with their, their wholesale distributor in, in Japan. And so, um, for me to, you know, I could have, I met, met, uh, Jed, who's one of the co-owners 
uh, at a panel discussion. He was on a panel for other small business makers and, and co- company owners. And, and I saw him afterwards and I was like, you know, I, I could have the ego or be afraid to talk to him. But, uh, but there's, you know, even if we just have a conversation and say, Hey, I own DFD, maybe you've heard of us, maybe you haven't, it's nice to meet you. Um, you know, maybe through that, yeah. uh, interaction, I would have, you know, be like, Oh, whatever. But because I talked with him, my, my business has grown because of it. Yeah. Uh, where, whereas if I hadn't talked to him, I'd still be, I, I'd be, you know, three steps behind still. I mean, the cool thing too, is he even suggested doing a pop-up in his store. And so I, I got to do a pop-up and I, it, hmm. it helped me, uh, create connections. And so, um, you know, never being afraid to talk to someone is like, I have to do this uh, for my own sake. I'm at that point where it's like, oh, if I want to, if I want to make money or if I want to grow my business, I have to take those risks yep. uh, that that me as a person might not want to take. Uh, but from a business owner's perspective, I have to, or it doesn't make sense not to, or, uh, you know, what could it harm? Yep. Uh, it could only improve myself and yeah. my, my company. So I hear you. I hear you. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the great thing is that, well, that's probably the best tip right there is just to keep reaching out to people and, and networking or whatever, however you want to describe it. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's what I've, I've been, well, that's what I'm doing, you know, here and connecting with you and yeah, absolutely. So, and, it, and I think that's the thing you gotta, I, I think, well, maybe you don't have to enjoy it, but it, it helps to when you do enjoy it. And that's something I've, I really like to have yeah. those conversations. Cool, yeah. right, Ross? Well, that's um, yeah, that's about all I have in the next six to twelve months. Anything you wanted to announce that you have coming up for for people? Anything new um, for the brand or the company? Um, uh, well, I guess like I said, uh, I'm going to be at the uh, Fly Fishing Rendezvous in uh, in a week's time. Uh, I don't know when this is going to air, um, but I'm going to be in Denver for that. Um, and then uh, I'll be like I said, I'll be driving across the country uh, uh, through the Midwest and in the Catskills this summer in june uh and uh, i'll be uh look i'll just let people know that uh if you look for the for the hamburger trout on the side of a white transit connect van that's probably me and say hi and i'll probably be stopping by some fly shops and oh, uh hope hopefully i'll make it make it up to when i get back i'm I, i'm it's up in the air but i might end up in uh in uh in Montana and Western Colorado, those are places that are all on my bucket list yep. as far as places I want to fish. So perfect. Uh, keep keep an eye out. I'll probably post pictures on Instagram of the of the van when I find one and everything. So yeah, people will be able to be able to say hi and say hello. Nice. All right. Well, I, so. it's good to uh, yeah, and I'll keep up with you there, and uh, and I'll put some links to stuff we talked about in the show notes, and uh, yeah, it'll be good. We you know, like I mentioned before, we're gonna have you on. I think as a sponsor, so this is gonna be really cool to to keep in touch with yeah. you. And, yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing your stories. I think we went a little bit longer than I was originally uh, talking about here, but I think you know your story is a good one, and I appreciate you as a sponsor because I think your message is one that um, I think everybody should should hear about. So it's gonna be fun. I think this summer and. Uh, We'll definitely just keep in touch. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Ross. Head over to uh, the member society at wetflyswing.com slash members to go deeper with the podcast community and maybe get some answers to questions you have or for our next guest. That's uh, wetflyswing.com slash members to get started today. Thanks again for signing by to check out the show today. Looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you uh, online or on the river. Also, 
I haven't mentioned this in a little while, but uh, it would be great if you can uh, share this episode with one other person you think uh, might uh, enjoy enjoy some of the content here. And uh, and if you haven't yet, subscribe and uh, leave a review on iTunes. I don't think we've had a review out there in quite a while. So uh, thanks a lot. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 